Our guest for In Shambles today, he's won about every award you could possibly win in college football. The 1998 Heisman Trophy winner, Ricky Williams. Welcome to In Shambles. How are we? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Super excited to have you. So, Ricky, as I told you a little earlier, I'm a Longhorn myself. I want to know, what is your fondest memory about playing football at Texas? Um, you know, the whole the whole four years was a fond memory, but if I had to pick one, uh, I'd be my freshman year. Um, you know, when I came to Texas, I wanted to be a part of taking Texas to the next level, and I had an opportunity my freshman year. We uh, went to College Station for the last game of the season, and it was the final uh, att- the final Southwest Conference game, and we had an, uh, yeah. the ability to take that championship home. And I remember going going into that game, uh, the wrecking crew, Aggies defense was number one, number one in the nation. And uh, and I was a fullback. I was a fullback then, and so I was kind of scared, if I'm being honest. And <laughs> they ran a blitz early early in the first in the first quarter, and I popped free for like a 22 yard touchdown run. And I got got a little confidence. We ended up winning the game, and I think I had like 160 yards as a as a freshman fullback against number one defense in the country. And it just gave me the confidence to, to know that I could that I could play at the, at that level. I mean, Ricky, nobody could stop you, man. All four years, you were unstoppable. Uh, One man wrecking crew. I mean, the, offensive line was there great, were, man. There were a couple teams. There were a couple defenses that could stop me, but it it was difficult to do it consistently. I think, you know, we had a really amazing coaching staff who did a great job of scheming up the run and giving me opportunities to to show what I could do. Yeah, man. Loved watching your game, especially as a young kid, uh, seeing you in the NFL. Question about your Heisman Trophy, though. Where do you keep it? So um, I sold my Heisman Trophy maybe 10 years ago. No. And so, yeah. Oh, no, really? I don't don't keep it anywhere, but I'm sure that whatever I bought from the proceeds, I'm sure is around here somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) It's somewhere around here, somewhere around here. So I, I got to hear your thoughts on Texas running back Bijan Robinson going to the draft this year. How good could this kid be? Well, he could be great. I mean, I think everyone has seen it, seen what he can do on camera, and I think he he has the intangibles, which in football I think is mental toughness and a and optimism. You know, because in sports and life, a lot of things go wrong, and then the people who are optimistic see them as opportunities and and grow from them. And I think. Anything you do, but especially something as tough as professional football, that's exactly what you need. Ricky, I still can't get over that you sold your Heisman Trophy. What'd you buy with it? Um, what did I buy? I mean, it's it's a it's a whole long story. Um, I had a situation with a financial advisor, and you know, I got a phone call one day and realized I didn't have any money because she stole it all. And I was kind of in this moment of like, what do I do? And I looked I looked around my house. I looked behind me, and I had this whole like room full of trophies i had a bunch of art and i realized you know i still have stuff and so i was able to to make liquid what i had and keep my life going you know a lot of people they go through these difficult things and they kind of what i was saying optimism you know i saw it as an opportunity and even a a a larger opportunity in life because my my naive vision of life was to become a football player and then retire in my 30s or 40s and then do nothing for the rest of my life you know and there's a good chance I would have tried to to, <laughs> to actuate that that vision, but this opportunity made me like realize I have a lot of, lot to offer the world, and so, went back to school, got my, 
got my mind right, got my passions right, and, and kept it moving. So it was a, it ended up being a blessing. Love it, man. Absolutely love it. NIL is a big discussion in the college space today. If NIL was around when you were in college, how much money do you think you'd make? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting. When um, back then, I don't know, like inflation. Who knows? Probably a, probably a lot. Um, you know, I was the Heisman Trophy winner. I led the nation in rushing and scoring for two consecutive years. But you know, I was drafted by the Phillies, and so I had a, a decent amount of uh, of cash coming out of coming out of high school. I actually wasn't on scholarship, so I. I mean, I wasn't free to do whatever I wanted, but I had more, I had more room to move than most of the other athletes. Um, and I think it's a great opportunity for athletes to get practice early, learning how to uh, manage money. I mean, obviously, based on what I said earlier, I have a sensitivity to the idea of these young people, these young kids, a lot of them who've never really had that, you know, access to those kind of resources. And like anything, it takes practice, Definitely. you know. And I think to get these guys access to these resources now that they get practice for later in life definitely you know what's interesting is i've seen a lot lately that college programs are introducing life after football programs i know texas has a great one but you know giving them these life skills to start a business work on your brand elevate your brand and you know it's an amazing thing it's the right thing to do especially in nil well one of the things that you know just to to call the elephant in the room there's a lot of there's a lot of athletes um Around the I did, and I did um I did a research project on this when I was in school. There's a lot of athletes around the country that would not have been able to get into the universities if they weren't playing football. And so, you know, I like the idea of after you know after football preparation program, but I think we need to spend more time in actually preparing these students to compete in the classroom. Yeah, I went back to school after after I retired. And I was in a lot of the same classes with the current football players. And at the time, Coach Strong was uh, was the head coach, and he he had a um, a rule that all the players had to sit in the front. And I and I wasn't a player, so I was sitting in the back watching the players sitting in the front. And it dawned on me: we asked these athletes to be uber competitive on the football field, but I'm not sure we're doing a good job to make sure they can be that competitive in the classroom. Because the whole point, at least the ideal. Right around college is you get an education that prepares you for the world. But so much of what's happened in college sports is it's not really about the education. It's really about the entertainment value and the money that the sport can offer. And I think with NIL, there's a, there's a, there's a chance it could move further in that, in that direction. So I think it's important for the universities as institutions of learning to make sure they do something to, to, to balance that. Yeah. hundred percent true there. I agree with that. Um, you know, speaking of, off the field type of business ventures. So you started a company called Heisman, which we'll get into a little bit later as well. Um, I want to know what you think about cannabis and its ability to increase player longevity in the NFL. You know, um, I'm not necessarily sure that player longevity in the NFL is something that should be, we should aim for, you know, um, I know it's weird coming from an athlete, but I'm an older athlete who can speak from experience. And I think what I've realized is, even if you, any of you're Tom Brady and you play to your mid forties, you still have about half of your life left. And the longer you play, the 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 stats are the the <laughs> the lower the quality of life is after football. You know, I was talking to a good friend of mine, a little older than me, but he played corner, and we were talking about cannabis, and he was, and, and I was asking him how do you use it, and he, and it kind of made me sad, but it was it's the reality of of life for most of us. 
He said, if I have to go somewhere and I don't want my shoulder to go numb, I want to be able to use my arms and, you know, feel good and not be in pain. He says, I got my, he says, I'll grab my little vape and I know exactly how much I need to release the tension so I can, I can be pain free for a little while. Um, and so I think, again, at this point in my career, I'm thinking of how can cannabis be used to not take so much damage or to be able to recover while you're still playing. So when you're done, you're not all, you're not all beat up. And I think for me, cannabis, the main conversation is really about recovery. You know, because the, the old model is you just keep going, you tough it out, you just keep going. But what that creates is layers of trauma, layers of trauma. And what I found with cannabis, whether it's during the season on my off days or during the off season, I was able to really get more, more mindful and, and intense about my recovery. Because one thing I realized, especially football, if we go out there and we're warriors and we do this intense damage to our body, in order to balance it, we have to do some kind of intense healing and recovery. And I found cannabis is, is right. wonderful for that. Yeah. Do you find it ironic at all that the NFL had such a big issue with cannabis when you were playing especially? But then, um, but then you look at the long-term effects of painkillers that I'm sure the NFL prescribes as a result of injuries. I mean, do you find it ironic that the way it works? Not really. I mean, if you understand the history of capitalism, um, people in charge rarely care about the <laughs> about the well-being of the employees. Is they only care about the production, and so they have to somewhat care about well-being, but not long-term well-being, right? For the NFL, and it's a business, right? They need people to be able to perform, right? And and the whole the whole idea with cannabis and and why the NFL tests for cannabis and punishes people, it's really when it started in the '80s, it was about reputation, you know. And it's like they were, you know, as, as sports grew and especially as African-Americans started to come into sports, they had to make the game seem safe to watch, you know. And so one of the things they had to do is prove to the fans that the players weren't thugs, you know. And at that point, cannabis, other drugs were associated with criminal criminal behavior. So I think as we grow out of out right. of cannabis prohibition, all these corporations and institutions that have had to toe the line have to slowly let go and revision as we get new information. And I think, it, you know, launching Heisman, yeah, it's a company business and the idea is to make money. But for me, it's really a purpose-driven company. And it's really to have conversations like this. I can't tell you in the past year and a half right. how many times I've got to say something like this. And, you know, however many people are listening, the thoughts get in and they slowly start to change their perspective or their opinion on cannabis. Right. And you know what's interesting is the NBA stopped testing for cannabis and marijuana. Um, and it makes you realize, you know, what other leagues will be next. And, you know, if you were running the NFL or, you know, how would you go about it? What would your message be to the NFL? Well, just, just a point real quick. Um, what you pointed out, the other leagues, okay, if you think of baseball, um, there's a lot of African-Americans. Well, there's African-Americans in baseball, but it's not typically considered African-American sport. And Major League Baseball has never tested right. for cannabis. Right? Hockey, you know, there's a couple African-Americans, Canadian, African-American, whatever. But, again, they've never tested for cannabis. Basketball, football, where predominantly African-Americans, those are the leagues that have tested. And I think when we realize that cannabis prohibition in this country is largely connected to race, you know, I think that especially this day and age where we're allowed to where Black Lives Matter <laughs> and, we're, we're, and we're allowed to have these conversations. It's an opportunity to change some of the, the racist rules that have been put into place. And I think so that that's the first place I would 
talk to the NFL because the current NFL people, a lot of them don't even understand the history of how the drug program came or even the history of cannabis prohibition. So I think as we educate people more and they realize that they are just pawns in a larger game, then I think they're motivated to say, hey, maybe we can be responsible for changing this and actually taking care of the players. And I think the NFL has a great, and this is what the NBA is doing. The other part of that is, and this is, I think, a, an example for, for like everyone, you know, is we're, we're all underneath some kind of authority figure, whether it's the government, our boss, whatever, you know, and, and a lot of times we complain, why are things like this? Why are things like this? What the NFL and the NBA have showed me is that in order to change it, it has to be the, the employees, the players. And I, and NBA has been fighting for a few, for several years to get this to change. And they just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And as the world has changed, the NBA finally opened up its door. The NFL has, is moving a little bit more slowly, but the the motivation for the NFL has come from the players. The players said, in the last CBA, the players said, we're not discussing cannabis as a drug of abuse. We're discussing it as a wellness question. And I think that's really pushed the conversation. So as the players have stopped being afraid to stand up for what's truly important to them, you know, we're seeing the leagues, we're seeing the leagues respond. Yeah, they're slowly, you know, especially the NFL, they're slowly working their way towards it. And, you know, as you can see with a bunch of other states that are starting to legalize marijuana and cannabis, that, you know, it's a slow game, slow burner. Yeah, it's coming. Is, is it true? So I, I read an article. I read an article. Did the NFL actually drug test you 10 times per month? It was nine, nine times a month, yeah. Oh, that's ridiculous. I mean,. Well, it, it's what ridiculous. Your, like, it's rid- what were you thinking during that? Well, you know, I, I was young at first. You know, I think when we're young and the authority, you know, we we try to do, we try to follow the rules and not get in trouble. But when I really thought about it, I was like, this is this is stupid. I said, me consuming cannabis is not hurting anyone. You know, it's helping my body recover. It's helping me not have to yeah. take the Ambien and the Percocets. And I had to make a difficult decision. I said, if I do it their way, I can see what's going to happen to my the quality of my life. And I said. When I'm done playing football, the NFL doesn't give – they don't care about me, but I have to care about me. So I had to prioritize my quality of my life for the long term. And, and I think aside from cannabis, Definitely. I think that's just a that's just a good conversation, you know. And I think when we're young, we don't realize yeah. that, that you know, life keeps on going. And the choices we make when we're young, they, they catch up to us for better or for worse. It's it's ridiculous in my point of view. So they the NFL almost made you out to be this like bad guy. Like oh he he smoked cannabis. Like we don't want him in our league. It's, and it's just crazy because it's the narrative has really changed from you know the early two thousands to where we're at now, where it's illegal in a lot of states. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, did you feel like the NFL made you out to be like this villain? No, I don't. I, I, my mom taught me when I was young not to blame anyone or anything, to take responsibility for everything. And she said, if you're going to break the rules and you get caught, take it like a man. She taught me that very early. And so I realized the authority figures, the institutions that we're a part of don't have our best interests. And so I, I kind of wear it as a as a badge of pride, you know, that I was an example of someone who stood up for themselves. And what I'm realizing is I go around the country and I promote Heisman. And a lot of young people even that have no idea who Ricky Williams is, you know, and they go on YouTube or they, they get on the internet and they, and they read my story and they're inspired by it. And to me, to me, that's more important even than scoring touchdowns or even being in the Hall of Fame that I've touched people that don't even know anything about football. 
such a big legacy in that term and, you know, in the aspect of Texas football. You have a statue outside of DKR. The field is named after you and Earl Campbell. I mean, what does that college football legacy mean to you? It's, it's honestly, it's not even a college football legacy, especially when it's a statue and it's, it's a life legacy because the statue and the field yeah. came after I was suspended and got in trouble. And so, you know, when a lot of athletes, when they say, oh, we're going to lose, you know, we're going to lose our reputation. We're going to lose all these things. I'm an example of, no, you're not. Like, and I went all the way, like retired, came back, got suspended again, came back, got suspended again. And still there's a statue in a field after all of that. So, you know, I think the message, if you, if you stay true to yourself, you know, in the end, you always come out on top. And people can say that, Definitely. but we don't really have a lot of examples of people doing it because most people on top are so afraid of falling that they, you know, do whatever it takes to, to stay on top. You know, that's what they say. Sometimes you got to get back down to, or you got to get knocked down to come back up. That's a perfect saying. Yeah, because usually when you make it to the top, especially early in life, it's the dream of a seven-year-old. You know, I made the decision to be a to be a professional football player when I was seven or eight. You know, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know much about life. And so I think when we're successful, we have to fall back down so that we can get back up to a high, and climb a, to a, a higher vision for ourselves. And if, you know, Mac Brown said this all the time, he said, if what you do on this football field and when he would say it, he would look straight at me, you know, is, is what you're remembered for is the best that you did in this life. He said, then you have failed. You have failed. And I took that to heart. Wow. So I, I will back to the I'm, question. I'm of my, fired my, up, man. I'm ready. I'm ready to well, run through a wall. Well, you know, back to the legacy of my of college football. It was a platform, you know, and I was able to show what I could do. But from the athlete's perspective, you know, I keep saying this to young athletes. I say, you guys don't appreciate the 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 value of the training that you get, the value of the training you get, even in college football. But you go to the next level, the NFL, the value of that training, it empowers us to be able to accomplish anything in life if we if we apply it that way. But I think a lot of guys think, oh, I'm only good at football. They don't appreciate the amount of training because everyone has potential for talent. But until you put the effort and the work to, right. to refine and, and hone that talent, you know, it's just potential. Right. right. I want to go back to 1999. Sure, you remember where this is going, but it was the ESPN magazine. They put you in a wedding dress with Mike Ditka. You remember that? Yep. I actually put the wedding dress on myself. Did they pay you I to put help. you in that? Or you... Oh, I you had didn't... help. They didn't pay you to do it? No, no, no. No, no. They, they didn't pay uh... me to do it. You know? But again, I don't think I needed to be paid to do it. You know? It's like yeah. people expect me to care what other people think. But I try, and it's really, really hard. Is really, really hard because my personal opinion about putting on a wedding dress for the picture is I thought it was funny and iconic. Again, we're still yeah. talking about it today. You know, if we would have done some exactly. boring, whatever, just whatever, no one would be talking about it. You know, it would have it been a waste of time. But the fact that we can have this conversation and especially having this conversation when ideas about masculinity, you know, and, and what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman is so much in flux, you know. I feel like, oh, I was ahead of my time. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny, Ricky. I wasn't even born when this magazine came out. I was born in 2000, and I'm here talking about it with you. <laughs> exactly. That, that's wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, pro- right, it's definitely provocative. More for you here. It's, it's definitely provocative, but it's, it's funny <laughs> because the, 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 whole idea, the whole idea of the cover was that because Dick had traded all the picks – 
and we were married, you know, and and unfortunately in this day and age, you know, over half of marriages ended divorce. This one didn't even last a year. You know, we were three and 13, <laughs> but you know, but also common, we're still friends. It doesn't we're still that. friends. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sometimes marriages don't work out, man. You know, it's, it's part of, part of life. Amen to that. So you were, you were, you were on the cover of NFL street. Do you remember that? The iconic video. Game? I sure do. How did sure that come to, how did that come about? And you know, should they bring this game back? They definitely should bring it back. Um, what I loved about it was I got to play defense. You know, I, when I was in high school, I got to play both ways. Got to play, got to cover kicks in the Pro Bowl. But I always wanted to be a defensive player. And I was in high school, so I got a chance. NFL Streets play a little defense. Um, that came about because I was really close with EA Sports back then. And, you know, they were considering, I just led the league in rushing, and they were considering putting me on the cover of Madden, but they didn't. Um, and so... Second second place was they put me on the cover of NFL Street. I'll take it. Man, you got robbed. Should have put you on yeah. the cover. Uh, I'm good. I got the cover. I got the cover of NCAA. So yeah, I was. <laughs> there we go. Who do you think UT's bigger rival is? You think it's OU or A&M? Because this is a conversation I have with my dad, my friends, my whole family. I think when I was in, it's tough. I would say it's it's. It was A&M, but since A&M left and went to the SEC, it's become Oklahoma. But now that we're going back to SEC, to the, I mean, now we're going to the SEC, I think it's, I think it's and Oklahoma. I think it's going to be back to the, to the Aggies. I think in the same state, you know, there's so much tension and so much, yeah. you know, mixed family blood. You know? I heard a story that um, Home Depot, <laughs> Home Depot came to College Station and College Station said no because Home Depot's was it's orange i don't know if this is true but i heard in that for the first couple of years home depot was maroon <laughs> in college station we'll i wouldn't put it past them man they're so passionate about it but it's funny because yeah. i feel like texas fans couldn't care that much about it but if you were to go to college station and wear you know burn orange you would get a lot of a lot of hate a lot of horns downs all of it have you been to college station <laughs> My, yeah, so my, my girlfriend is actually an Aggie, and so I would drive down oh. and visit her, and every weekend, I would always wear, I have these Longhorns uh, Nike training shoes, and I would wear them every weekend, and every time I would go out, I would get at least one or two nasty looks from the shoes. You're a rebel, aren't you? You can help yourself, huh? I am a rebel, bro. I am a rebel. <laughs> okay, you know, like, look, I, I welcome the hate. Everybody hates Texas because they're not Texas. That's, that's what I oh. think, man. I get you. I get it. <laughs> All right, this next game, it's called Best Buds. So I'm going to need either name a strain of cannabis or the nickname of an NFL player. So if you think it's a strain of cannabis, you'll say cannabis. Nickname, you'll say nickname. Got it? Got it. All right, ready? Yep. All right, Sour Diesel. Cannabis. Correct. It's a strain. The refrigerator. Yeah. That's a nickname. Correct. Northern Lights. Cannabis Strain. Correct. Honey Badger. Nickname. But there is a there is. Correct. Um, I feel like it could be both though. 
Well, there, yeah, there, there's, it's not a strain, but there, there could be, but there is a device that you can use for concentrates. It's called the honey badger. Cause you know, concentrates are like, honey, a little, a little you know? both. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Night train. Ooh, that could be both too, but that's an athlete. Correct. Pineapple express. I guess that wouldn't be a, a nickname of a athlete. It would be like a backfield. Maybe there's a backfield and they're from Hawaii. But um, no, that's a that's a <laughs> cannabis strain. <laughs> Correct. That, that one was a layup, man. That was a layup. They had an old movie. This yeah. one also might be a layup. Beast mode. Ooh. I'm sure, I'd be surprised if there wasn't a strain. I mean, if there's not, Heisman's going to launch one. Actually, we've been we've been trying to, to oh, yeah. work something out with with Marshawn to to launch a beast mode straight. But yeah, that's that's a nickname for now. Correct, <laughs> I dude, beast mode would be strong. That's <laughs> that's my belief. Apollo eleven. Apollo eleven. Nickname. Strain. Oh wow, got me. Ah, uh, we got gotcha. you. But to, yeah. I mean, anything could be a straight. I could say any name; it could be a straight. All right, last it one here, be, yeah. but, Chem Dog. Yeah, Chem Dog. I actually know the guy who grows who who came up with Chem Dog, so I know that's a that's a straight. Yeah. Correct. You went. What'd you go? Six for seven there. Seven for eight. Mmm. Man, you killed it. Well Got done. B, B All plus. right. Thank you. So again, <laughs> your company is called Heisman. Unreal name, by the way. Love it. Thank you. It's a cannabis lifestyle company at the intersection with sports. What was your goal behind starting this company? I know we talked about the purpose, but I want to hear it in your own words. Yeah. So it's just kind of what you said, the intersection of cannabis and sports. And at least for me growing up, those two things were opposite. You know, high school, if the, the guys on the team that smoked, the coaches would try to run them off and give them a hard time. And then when I went through everything, it's like nobody had my back. No one was ha- – I mean, at least – in in public, no one was having these kinds of conversations talking about the benefits of cannabis. And so, and I look at my career and I, and I attribute, you know, a lot of what I was able to accomplish to my relationship with cannabis. And I'm sure a lot of guys would say something similar, but everyone's afraid to say it. And so I'm trying to make an association between greatness and cannabis because that's what I experienced in my life. And I, I don't feel like I'm trying to sell it to anyone, but people who have had the same experience who are not having anyone else cooperate it, you know, those are the people that I think will appreciate the Heisman lifestyle. How much do you credit cannabis for your success in your football career? Uh, well, it's like not how much, you know, it's like I, I can have a list, right? You know, how people, when they, they win awards and they go down, right. I want to thank my high school coach is because and I think usually when when something has touched us so deeply that we're willing to like share it in a moment like that is because we were at a moment where things could have gone either way and someone or something showed up and helped us go the right way. And I, I had a profound, I had a couple of profound experiences like that with cannabis, you know, times where I was ready to quit or give in or not try my hardest. And, you know, a friend of mine would say, said, here, try this. And it really opened my mind to see things a different way. And I think for me, the most valuable thing in my life is perspective. And anything that can give me greater perspective is is a friend of mine. <laughs> I love it, man. Love it. Last question here. What's your dream joint rotation? Who you got? Uh, honestly, just me. You know? I like I'm not a 
<laughs> I mean, I'll do it in, in a social setting, but for me, it's more of like a meditation. And I find, depending on the people, I guess that's the question. Because so much about cannabis and altered states is really about set and setting because we're so open, you know? And so, right. it's you know, it's like I don't, I don't want anyone to mess up my vibe, you know? So anyone who's on the level, right? Anyone who's on the level, right? And I think sometimes all of us, right? Sometimes we're on the level, sometimes we're not. And so my dream circle, anyone on the level, anyone on the level. You think I could be there? Of course, of course. I think I could. You no, know, you're young. We you're young. We gotta, Ricky, we gotta please you. do some training. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, we could you do the high program? We we'll get you right. Yeah, we got this. Come on, I'm ready, man. I'm ready, Ricky. Thank you so much for coming on in shambles. It was a pleasure having you on, man. Your childhood hero of mine. Any last words? Um, uh, just thank you. This was great. This was great. Of course, man. All right. Thank you for watching In Shambles. Again, thanks to Ricky Williams. Go check out Heisman. We'll see you next time.